The reading this morning is from Isaiah chapter 7. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, king of Judah. Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But King Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of men? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He will eat curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. But before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid to waste. This is the word of the Lord. Cheer up, Ivan. It's not as bad as all that. My word. (laughs) Good morning, everybody. We've just read what I think is a very difficult passage to understand immediately, but there will be some explanation. Uh, It's very interesting. Here we are singing this morning about a drum. In the police force, we used to talk about raiding a drum. That was somebody's house, I imagine. But anyway, this morning, we're looking at a contemporary prophecy, contemporary to the days of Isaiah, and of course a futuristic prophecy, which we all, I'm sure, recognize. Isaiah was a God-appointed prophet, and God used him in the midst of a political situation. That's what we've been reading about, and only, really, I'm going to spend a few moments on that. But it's incredible that the virgin in that particular passage refers to Isaiah's uh, fiancé, soon-to-be wife, for telling the fact that she will have a son born to her and his name will be called Emmanuel, specifically God with us. We tend to think there's only one virgin birth in Scripture But that's not quite true. We've read of another one this morning in Isaiah. Briefly, King Ahaz, he was in Judah, was being warned that two rival kings were about to try and recruit him. And as an alliance, the threesome could attack Assyria. Isaiah's position, as prompted by God, was to dissuade King Ahaz that there will be a sign from God to show him that God is on his side. And, of course, Ahaz, in his ignorance, says, well, wait a minute, I'm not going to test God. I don't think God minds being tested so long as we listen to the answer. But, you see, Isaiah stated that there will be a sign from God. You won't be trying his patience because God is on your side. And that's why this prophecy is so apt for you and me today. God is on our side. There will be a sign, and the sign in verse 14, a virgin will be with child and give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. Ahaz was assured, but I'm sure his rather vague position before God, he wasn't actually a whole believer. 
And this again is a warning to us. We can be believers without actually being wholly committed to our God. And Ahaz, although he was rescued from that situation of signing a treaty with two other godless people, wonderfully, Isaiah's prophecy not only was right for then, right for us today. There is a much more complicated history than I've been looking at today, but I think that's enough to set us going on what is pertinent to 2016. We concentrate, do we not, in our carol services and in our service here this morning on what is the birth of Christ, prophesied 400 years before, as we've already read this morning. Matthew and Luke have clear but startling details in their respective accounts of Christ's birth. Yes, the amazing fact that a virgin could give birth to a son. Quite clearly, the strange instructions from the angels. One, that he will be called Emmanuel, God with us. And secondly, that his earthly name is Jesus, our Savior. Isaiah's account came at a dark time for Israel. Wars and rumors of wars, attacks from the north, the east, and the south. But however, Ahaz, this weak man that he was, timid in his trust with God, was followed by a man who did love God, Hezekiah, and who honored him. And God proved actually to the believer rather than the committed man, as well as Hezekiah, that he is with them. What's new? We live in days, do we not, where there are wars and rumors of wars and attacks from the north and the east and the south. And you can see how it's escalating even in our day. Evil successors fail to trust God, not only that, seek alliance with godless nations. One wonders what's going to happen, and I'm not going to go into this in any depth at all, what's going to happen in the U.S. in the next presidency and what the rest of the world is going to do about that. That is not my remit this morning. I think there are lessons for us to learn from this Middle Eastern history. First of all, the consequences of not actually listening to what God is saying to us, whoever we are and whatever our circumstances. We should know, recognize, and accept that God is unchangeable. The same God that instructed Isaiah and Ahaz and Hezekiah is the same God, our Father, who's with us today. In those early days and at the time of the Lord Jesus on earth and here and now, yes, he is Emmanuel. It is God with us. God is on our side. Don't let us ever forget that. We drive a wedge when we turn away in our lives uh, with our ambitions and our jobs and our leisure activities, our secret lives and ambitions, unless we allow God to be part of that. If we compromise our testimony, whoever we're witnessing to is not going to believe us. He must be our absolute priority in all that we do. We try and keep a foot in both camps. God will, I'm afraid, understanding the ways of the world, but he will be shielded. It is incredible that if we don't live for Christ, we don't get the opportunities 
Wonderfully, I have a wife who you know and I know very well, and she keeps me, I hope, with my feet on the ground, and nearly always says to me when I come home from golf match, who have you spoken to about the Lord this morning? And it wasn't too long ago when I was, we'd just putted out on the fifth green and were walking to the sixth tee, and the fellow I was playing with simply said to me, what has Isaiah 53 got to do with Jesus? Now, wow, what a question. It was difficult to drive off after that, I can assure you. But you see, those are the sort of opportunities that come. And I thank God that when I go to play golf, Chris plays. I don't know if she's praying for me to win or praying for me to lose, but she's certainly praying and the opportunities are there. We must beware of the danger of compromise. That's really what I'm saying. And wonderfully, we can concentrate on the Lord Jesus. He will be called God is with us simply because we know it to be true. It's part of our testimony, is it not? God is with us. God is on our side. So let's concentrate on Matthew's gospel for a moment and look at Luke's account. I have read this week there are 52 messianic promises in the Old Testament. And thank you very much for telling me. Who was it? Somebody over here told me this morning. That's great. There's one a week. I don't know that the scripture was meant to be. Oh, there you are. Thank you for telling me that. 52 messianic promises, all of which have come true. The Old Testament is so much part of Scripture, we must never neglect it. One of my friends from a previous church said he never reads the Old Testament because it's so out of date. Please don't fall into that trap. It's as up-to-date as the new, of course, as we've read this morning. It suggested that the religious leaders who knew, of course, the Old Testament... They had molded what they hoped would be the Messiah into their way of thinking. And that's when when Jesus came, it seemed to be quite different. It wasn't the Messiah that they thought. And they misled so many people. I think we have a great danger when we try to make God fit us and fit our way way of life. It's a common mistake, I'm afraid. I read earlier this week this account of John Wesley's Christmas. And he was going to preach somewhere in the evening, but he thought he'd pop to church in the morning. I'm reading directly from his diary. I walked to Egham, that's in Surrey, and I went to church and I heard one of the most miserable sermons I've ever heard. (laughs) He was preaching about Christmas. Then in the evening, I went to preach myself. And this is what I preached on. Call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. I rejoiced that I want the whole church, the whole Christ for my Savior, the whole Bible for my book, the whole church for my fellowship, and the whole world for my mission field. A man who started off Christmas Day in a miserable spirit, there actually saying what he is. The problem is, I'm afraid, we meet people who are completely blanking out Christmas. To them, Christmas is a place of Christmas trees and decorations and gifts and nativity plays and so on, but neglecting the meaning of Christmas. 
And this is what my concern is as I speak this morning. We must be aware of the real Jesus. Yes, Emmanuel. The angel spoke to Joseph, fiancé of, fiance of Mary. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you must give him the name of Jesus because he will save their people from their sins. The Pharisees just could not get hold of that. Matthew explains this is to fulfill what the Lord said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God's with us. We've read that this morning. Luke, in his gospel, confirms all that and also says, you will be with child, what the angel said, and give birth to a son, you're to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. Mary, as we know, was rather afraid of that and she could hardly believe it. And with her cousin Elizabeth, mother of John the Baptist, they listened to what the angel was saying and suddenly there was the rejoicing. And what Luke says, underlining all that, these three words, nothing is impossible with God. Do we believe that? Hallelujah. Nothing is impossible with God. So we must be aware of the real Jesus, but be aware of the enemy. I think Satan uses Christmas and deflects us away from the truth and the joy of knowing Jesus. He'll do everything to undermine family joy and church worship and anything which will dilute the Christian message of God being with us. Satan also has names. He's the devil, the deceiver, the liar, the murderer, the accuser, the tempter, the ruler of the kingdom of the air. This is Satan. Now, I'm not saying we've got to believe about that. We've got to know just exactly what he stands for because the names of Jesus outshine anything. But he will do what he wants to do to say that God is not with us. He will deceive us to think that we're all right as we are. Times I've spoken to people about the Lord Jesus and they say, well, it's all right for you, Robin, but I don't need it. I was in a group the other day with the archdeacon. Uh, I know why he asked me there, but uh, that's another story altogether. But sitting next to me was the chairman of the Shrewsbury Humanist Group. And... Paul, the archdeacon, had asked me to talk about forgiveness and this guy next to me, who I didn't know at all, suddenly interrupted and said, that's absolute rubbish. And he went on to explain why forgiveness from God is rubbish. But that's a nonsense in itself because that's why Christ came. He's our saviour. He forgives us and helps us to forgive others. Satan, through others, will do all he can to point to tragedies, to deaths, to illnesses, and blame God. And he wants us to blame God. He deceived Eve and Adam, did he not, at the start of mankind. And he knows our weaknesses. He did all he could to tempt Jesus away from his purpose. But of course the Lord Jesus, in quoting scripture, dismissed him. He wants us to compromise. Beware the enemy 
and recognize his dreadful names. But be aware of the real names of Jesus. I think I ought to say this before I go on. I actually love carol services and nativity plays. And I can remember myself being in a nativity play when I was a youngster. And I was Joseph. And Mary wasn't even my girlfriend. I didn't even like the girl. But there we are. We had to look as if we did with this cot and and the doll in it. I do love them, and this week I took the trouble to prove to you that I love carol services and nativity plays. Did you see the star this week? This is the centre page, and I'm going to hang it up. But I want you to see that Robin Oak actually does like the uh, uh, nativity play, but I was at a carol service the other day, just last Sunday in fact, and there was no mention at all of Jesus being our saviour. A lot of mention about him being the baby Jesus. And a lot of talk about those who visited him, the shepherds, and eventually the kings and so on. But nothing to do with Jesus being our saviour. Now I write, I recognise there's a time and a place. But, unfortunately, you think of the numbers of parents who go to school and watch their youngsters from the age of five up to eleven. Nativity play year after year. And that's the only insight that they have up to the fact that Jesus was born why do they not talk about him as our saviour that to me is very very sad if we've been born again we have to remember do we not who he is and what he is Jesus is not a baby he was but he isn't now we know that he's with us Jesus and the father are one He came as a baby and as a supreme gift to the world. And God so loved the world, we've already quoted this morning, loved the world and all in it. That's not just us as English people. He actually likes the Welsh as well and the Scots and the Irish. But he loves the world. He loves the Muslim and the Hindu and the Sikh. Anybody. He loves the people I've arrested. He loves terrorists. God loved the world. He didn't come in Jesus to condemn the world, but that the world through Jesus might be saved. And this is surely part of our message, which we must never, ever forget. I believe seriously that at some time and when it's appropriate, certainly at a carol service, we ought to be able to link the crib with the cross. That is not watering down anything of the nativity. It's actually enhancing it. I believe that God, in loving the rich and the poor and the homeless, the criminals, the abusers, loves us and our family. We need to be able to share that and live it out. I was saying at the last service, I read this week of a young mother and a young father who had their neighbors in, to celebrate the birth of their very first child. And they'd been there for some while when somebody said to the young mother, well, come on, let's see the baby. Where is he? Oh, he's upstairs in his cot. So she was persuaded to go up and bring the baby down. After all, that's what they were celebrating. And suddenly there was a terrible scream. 
and the husband running upstairs to wonder what his wife was screaming about. Where's the baby gone? There's no baby in the cot. What a shock. She had forgotten that they'd been to her parents in the morning and left the baby there. <laughs> Isn't it so easy to celebrate something and not really remember what the celebration is all about at Christmas time? Let's go back to Isaiah where we started. The wonderful names of Jesus. Yes, Emmanuel, God is with us. God is on our side. Remembering that Jesus is Lord. Again from Isaiah, he's a wonderful counselor. He's the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. There is no greater than the Lord Jesus. Now those of us who have received him into our lives will appreciate that and we long to tell others about it. But I do believe that there's a, a real difference between believing and actually believing and receiving. We can believe about Christmas and about Jesus and not really know him. How sad that can be. So let the challenge of God being with us, as we've read from Isaiah this morning, to recognize that Jesus is Lord. He is Emmanuel. And I finish with this. If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our need was technology, he'd have sent a scientist. Or had it been just money, he would have sent an economist. Had it been just pleasure, he would have sent an entertainer. But our greatest need is forgiveness. So he sent a saviour. What are we going to do this week? In our living, in the community, wherever we are, whatever it is we're doing, what are we going to do about revealing Jesus, the saviour, not only of us, but the people with whom we live? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the living word, and the word made flesh, dwelling amongst us. We thank you this morning as we sit here. We know your presence, but Lord, we need your presence, not only that, and your power in the Holy Spirit, that we may live for you, whatever the cost, and be available for you to speak as well as live for our Saviour. Lord, use us, we pray, this week. What a week of opportunity it's going to be. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.